The Social Work Planet podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of the land. We are grateful to be on this beautiful land of the people of the Kulé Nation on which we record this podcast. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. We also recognize and respect the dignity and uniqueness of each individual. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hi everyone, Happy New Year and welcome to the second episode of the Social Work Planet podcast. I'm Erica Lloyd. Today, Vivonica and I are so happy to have social worker Susan Marriott with us. Happy New Year, everyone. So Susan is currently the team leader of a women's counseling program within a public hospital. She also has her own private practice in counseling. Susan previously worked as a drug and alcohol counselor. Welcome to our podcast, Susan. How are you today? Uh, thank you very much for having me here. I'm well and happy to be here with you two lovely young women um, talking about social work, you know, one of my favourite topics. And um, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. It's, it's a great honour. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here on our podcast. We're so elated to have you today sharing about your social work journey with us and our listeners. Would you like to start off by sharing with us a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming a social worker? Yes, definitely. Um, I was thinking about this over the last week and, you know, wondering where, where was that point where I actually decided to become a social worker? But I think a few, a few things nudged me in this direction. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Firstly, I grew up in New Zealand, so um, I'm, I'm not a native of Australia, but I've been here a very long time. Um, and I, over there, I came from a family of nurses, and my dad was a veterinarian, so animal doctor. And um, what I got from my family, from the adults who raised me, was the idea, the value, I guess, that if you were educated and in a position of privilege, it, you know, it was, it was your obligation to help out um, people who were disadvantaged and to do what you could to lift other people up. Um, so that was something that my parents, um, I guess, raised me with that value. Um, and the women in my family were very strong, caring women. Um, they were very clever and resourceful. They were the sort of women that, you know, made things happen. <laughs> and um, I, I found, found, I found that very inspiring over the years. Like I've looked to my mother and my aunties um, mm. and even my grandmothers, um, you know, in terms of their spirit and their resilience. And um, it, it's kind of funny looking back now how my mum and my aunties, they worked hard as nurses, okay, and, and they smoked, you know, all of them. They smoked and drank a bit of alcohol to cope, as you did back in the, you know, the, the 60s and the 70s. Um, but they gave a lot to their patients. Yeah. And um, when actually my mum actually is Australian and grew up here in Victoria, um, but when my mum and dad married um, and, and um, settled in New Zealand, mum chose not to continue paid work. Um, as a nurse, she was a highly um, trained certificated nurse, um, but she um, decided that um, for the, you know, 40 odd years or so 
of married life, she decided to do volunteer nursing and social work, what I would now call social work. Mm. Um, she didn't name it as that at that time. It was just volunteer work in the community. Um, and she did everything from food bank to nursing dying people at hospice to um, women's refuge work to even teaching literacy um, in prisons to, to offenders, to criminals. Um, so she, she had this amazing career as a, like a volunteer social worker. And I think that really influenced me seeing her doing that like very meaningful work in the community and yeah. hearing those stories. Um, she was a real inspiration to me. Yeah. And, um, and, and I also, you know, really want to acknowledge that even though, you know, she was white, middle class and educated, mm -hmm. she could relate to people from all walks of life. Yeah. And um, I, I was able to observe how she did that. She genuinely cared and she saw the good in people. Yeah. And uh, so that was, that was a bit of, that was how it kind of started. And um, at first I thought I would study nursing, like my mum and my, my grand, grandma and my aunties um, after school. But I worked for two years as a nursing assistant in aged care. And this was back in the early 80s. And I, I found the attitude of some of the doctors in aged care at that time pretty appalling when it came to, you know, patient-focused care. It really wasn't patient-focused care. Um, and I sort of thought, I, I want to help people in their struggles, but there must be another path where the care can be individualised and empowering for, for the person. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, after that, I moved from New Zealand to Australia as a young person. I worked and saved some money for travel. Didn't actually go to uni until I was 22. So that was considered a mature age student <laughs> by that time um, at the tender age of 22. But before I went to uni, I was lucky to travel around for a year in Europe. Oh. And, um, yeah, that was amazing back in 1989. Amazing year in Europe, the wall opened and there were really big things happening politically in Europe. And I got to meet all kinds of people and see how they lived. And, you know, I, I guess I was fascinated by communities, different cultures, different communities, um, and how they took care of their disadvantaged folk, you know. Um, people did that in different ways. And so then... You know, uh, upon ret my return to Melbourne, initially I, I studied um, a bachelor degree in psychology. So I started sort of on the psychology track um, that was specialising in disability studies. And then later I did my bachelor of social work at Monash Uni. Um, I worked for a while, you know, initially in sort of disability services um, with what was then the Department of Human Services mm. and, and kind of did case management and um, that sort of work. And then I sort of worked alongside social workers in that role. Mm. And I was really inspired by them and the way that they thought about these clients that we're working with and... Um, you know, the, the, the kind of external factors, the like ecological factors that contributed 
to the, these people, you know, not having a job or the fact they had a disability and they um, couldn't achieve certain things, not because of the disability, but because of the way the, the, social, the social barriers that were in place for them. And, and the more I kind of joined in these conversations and heard about how social workers saw these problems yeah. and that they could try and tackle them at a number of levels, not just change the person, um, you know, that, that really inspired me. And I decided to then go off and do my Bachelor of Social Work. And um, later on, I did postgraduate training in um, counselling, family therapy and psychotherapy. Um, and that kind of moved me into becoming a counsellor. So, yeah, so in a nutshell, that was kind of how I came to be working in this field. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Susan. Um, that's a really inspiring journey. Like hearing from you about your family values um, and a positive influence from your mother, grandmother and your aunties and your early traveling and working experiences and then becoming a social worker yourself. That's really amazing. Um, so I'm thinking like after you graduate with your Bachelor of Social Work, how did your social work journey go and uh, how did you enter different fields of social work practice? Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Erica. Yeah. Well, gosh, you know, again, when I thought about this and looked at my resume, <laughs> I thought, gosh, I've worked in so many sectors. Is there is there one I haven't worked in? Um, you know, mainly here in Victoria, Um but I also did two years community social work over in New Zealand. Um, so I popped back there to live for a couple of years. Mm. Um, but basically after, as I mentioned before, after I finished my psychology degree, which majored in disability studies, um, I worked with, started off with DHS. Um, then while still with the department, I moved into permanent care and, and later on foster care. So that was one area, it was adoption and permanent care at that time and, and then foster care. Um, and during my social work training, I did a group work placement. I was really interested in the idea of group work. And so I did a placement in a community health service um, and did um, a lot of work in the men's behaviour change program. So, so this really kind of introduced me to family violence work mm -hmm. and um, ultimately I went on to do women's family violence counselling and uh, run support and education groups for women for many years, as well as doing the men's behaviour change. Um, and so I really got quite immersed in the family violence sector and um, worked there for many years and, and enjoyed that work, particularly the group work. It's something that um, I, you know, I really appreciate that mode of when you get a group of people together who are struggling with similar things and, and sort of, you know, dealing with the same sort of issue in their lives, how they can resource and support each other. And, um, you know, you need to set up the space and facilitate, but often the group energy takes on a life of its own. Um, and I can often say, honestly say, if anyone's interested in group work, I mean, 
you know, men's behaviour change work in some ways is cutting edge. Um, it's the most challenging group work, <laughs> uh, as you can imagine, that you'll do as a facilitator. And particularly if you're a female facilitator, um, where, where they, they always have a male and a female facilitating so that that, um, that team of facilitators can model respectful communication between men and women. Mm. Um, that's really important. Um, but also you're the only woman in that room. And um, these men are, you know, often when they come in, angry men who don't have a lot of respect for women. So um, it's, it's really amazing work to do. And, um, you know, obviously you want to be well supported in the work and, and supervision and all that. But I learned so much about family violence from both sides of the, the issue and um, I think that that really helped me a lot in my work. Um, so from after that, by that stage I was an NGO, so I wasn't no longer at the department, um, but working in um, uh, quite a well-known um, NGO. And um, I took a detour out of family violence into parenting education. Um, and got a job uh, working on a statewide project for two years, um, which was rolling out um, the signpost parenting program um, across the eastern region. Um, and for each region of Victoria, they needed a regional coordinator to oversee the rollout of that program to train up practitioners such as teachers and early intervention workers and um, social workers, case managers, who would then deliver this parenting program to the parents they were working with, yeah. who would be parents of children with disabilities. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was an amazing opportunity. It was, it was a wonderful project, very well funded and w had a very wide scope. Um, and I guess that was, you know, probably the first time I, I stepped up as a, um, you know, in, in a more sort of management type role as a regional coordinator um, and really loved that. And I guess one of the, as I sort of run through some examples from my career path, you know, what people might notice is that um, I, I did a lot of short-term um, gigs in terms of, um, you know, one-year projects or two-year projects. And for me, that's actually really worked. I, you know, I always think, you know, variety, it's the spice of life and it's no different in our work um, sort of life. And I, the longest I ever stayed anywhere was eight years. Mm. Um, and I'm now sort of clocking up, um, must be it's over 30 years probably about 33 years now <laughs> um and and I moved and many as I said I had you know a project maybe for 12 months or for two years um the one I just mentioned so I really enjoyed moving around I really enjoyed developing a, a wide range of skill sets and um you know not everyone wants to do that but for me it worked really well and it's also you know, helped me get other jobs because I have tried a wide range of things and, and you know, done pretty well with them. So um, later in my career, um, I got, I started, so I did a lot of, um, yeah, so I guess it was 
you know, case management and um, support work and then um, project work. And um, later on, I got very interested in counselling. And I always felt like um, that was kind of my true calling, if you like, to, to be a counsellor, to provide that therapeutic um, space for clients. And um, I was working in a community health counselling team at one point. And around that time, I, I wanted to, you know, increase my, um, my training in the area. So I... Um, did a postgraduate training, two-year postgraduate training in family therapy and psychotherapy. And that was really helpful to deepen my counselling skill sets um, because, you know, it is a specialised area of um, social work. I think a lot of social workers who do support work, there's a component of counselling, um, but, um, you know, you can go much deeper. And um, I guess there's so many different modalities of counselling too, so you can choose what um, suits you best and what works with your particular style. Um, in 2011, I began to dip my toes into the private practice waters. Yeah. And um, since that time, I've had a small counselling practice running alongside a part-time role in an organisation. Yeah. Um, and again, I found this combination of... Um, you know, working for an organisation and sort of, um, you know, guaranteed hours per week um, with also running my own counselling practice where you've got to go out and find the work and get referrals, um, but you have a lot more um, capacity for, um, you know, seeing a wider range of clients and I guess, you know, being more creative in the work. Um, that that was that really suited me well to have those all those ingredients in my working life, yeah. um, and uh, you know uh, really encourage social workers later down the track when they've got um, some experience under their belt to consider registering as a mental health social worker. Mm -hmm. um, I guess after you've had you know two to three years experience working in a mental health setting of some kind um, because you, you do need that for accreditation. Um, but once you register as a mental health social worker through the AASW, you can become a Medicare provider. So that means that Medicare will, um, you know, um, offer a rebate for the counselling sessions that you provide. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's how a lot of social workers get set up um, in private practice with counselling. Um, and um, so what else did I want to say? Um, that, you know, um, I spent, you know, in more recent times, I spent seven years working as an alcohol and drug counsellor. Um, again, it was, that was probably my second longest second longest time in you know a particular sector or with a particular organization um, and at first I worked on helplines um, and then later face-to-face -face work at the clinic um, and you know that's another thing I discovered as well like because I was a face-to-face counsellor you know for most of my work career up to that point I sort of thought, oh, you know, helpline counselling, it's kind of, you know, support and referral, you know, how deep do you go? Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I have to say, I learned some really great counselling skills doing telephone counselling um, and really listened to, uh, learned to listen to the sort of subtleties of um, a person's communication and, and pick up on, you know, the, the, the subtle nuances. And also you can do some very deep work when someone is an anonymous caller. Um, it's just the, the way it, it works. Sometimes they'll open up to you in a way that they perhaps haven't opened up to other face-to-face -face support people. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that was, that was a, a wonderful experience. And again, recommend, you know, telephone counselling to any um, social workers who are keen to try that out. Yeah. Um, and uh, so working for that same organisation in AOD, I also began supervising other social workers and um, became the social work stream leader for my division. It was quite a big organisation. There were different divisions. Um, and that was, you know, really good to have those stream meetings and to um, be able to support and mentor, um, you know, new social workers and of course we had the student placements and um, which I'll say that's where I work. I met Erica <laughs> yeah. as a social work student and um, yeah and, and that's a nice space to be in too when you're you know when you've got some years experience under your belt um, and um, the program that I worked in um, in that AOD service it was a specialised AOD service for Aboriginal and culturally diverse people. Um, and, and these typically were people who were slipping through the service cracks um, of, you know, with their alcohol and drug issues, they weren't kind of fitting into the, the mainstream AOD service system, if you like, and they had very complex needs and trauma. And so we would, you know, do a combination of things like outright, outreach and telephone counselling and, um, you know, um, making sure they could access, you know, um, uh, the addictions clinic and rehab and so on, uh, detox and rehab, um, in order to help those people get the support they needed. And, um, yeah, and that was, that was wonderful work too. And I've really enjoyed working with um, culturally diverse communities around Melbourne and, and learnt a lot from those um, communities. Mm. Um, and then finally this year I, I changed again and gained a position at um, a major hospital, as you've said, and um, as the team leader of um, a women's counselling program. So where, um, I mean, I do lots of different things and I can talk about, you know, what my typical day looks like, but um, moving up to the team leader level, you're, you're really um, supporting and mentoring the rest of the team um, and making sure that the program is ticking along and, and um, providing, I guess, a quality service. Yeah. Um, and in particular, so we work... Um, only with women, but women that have experienced um, violence and trauma in this particular program. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's honestly such a vast social work experience that you've had, Suzanne. Like, it's so great to hear like your journey from the very beginning and like at where you are right now. It's just 
it's amazing to also see the different fields of practices there is within the social work field of practice and um it's it's also so great to hear your different experiences that you've had like in the different fields as well something that comes up in my mind is like how did you find when you were changing from one field of practice to another for example when you moved from the disability sector to the foster care sector were there some specifically related experiences required by the employer yeah it's a good question veronica thank you and it's sort of, it's interesting, you know, sometimes opportunities just come up even within your own organisation. Um, look, I have to say in terms of landing work and positions, like it's not what you know, it's who you know, <laughs> the old saying goes. Um, and that goes a long way if people actually know you and not have worked with you or supervised you or know your work. Um, they will often, you know, call you and say, you know, hey, there's this vacant position on our team, are you interested sort of thing? So some of those transitions I made within the one organisation, like, for example, that back in DHS, that's where I transitioned from disability services to adoption and permanent care. Um, they also had child protection, they had housing, they had um, mental health teams, you know, so there was, in a big organisation, there's, there's room to move around, Right. Um, and a lot of our big public health networks offer that as well. Um, and other times I, um, you know, I guess I, I, when I would go for a position in a new area that I hadn't worked in, mm -hmm. I would try and find out if I could find it, talk to a contact in that area. Um, and sort of suss out, okay, what does that program do? You know, what's the core philosophy and the approaches? I would read their website. I'd really study up. And this now that I sit on the other side of the recruitment panel and I'm interviewing staff for our program, I, I really want to get out there to, like, do your research on the program. Know about the job you are applying for. I mean, there is a position description for sure, and that's a really good guide key selection criteria, right? Um, but also, you know, if it's completely new to you, look, do, you, do your homework, you know, do your research, try and find a colleague or a friend of a friend who might work in that area, pick their brains. Um, but I, I often, you know, like I, I winged it a lot of times at those interviews, like, but, but I, did, I did do my research. So I kind of knew the philosophy, I knew the approaches and I would, I think I was quite good at like transferring my skill sets into the setting. Mm -hmm. Like I would say, oh yeah, that's, you know, it, case management, I've done that in disability services and, you know, there are, you know, three steps to that and, you know, and, and so I would, um, yes. I, yeah, I just prepared. I didn't get every job I, I interviewed for, but um yeah, I've, I've certainly been quite successful over the years. And I think it's, you know, it's like anything in life. If you do your homework and prepare for it, you're going to have a much stronger chance. Yeah. Um, but if you miss out on that interview, um, like that position, then always call the manager afterwards and or when they call you to say, sorry, you haven't been successful. Always ask them, okay, can you give me some feedback from my interview? You know, why, why didn't you give me the job? Like, you know, you've got nothing to lose, you know, and I would, I would just ask that in a polite way. And they're usually more than happy to give you feedback. And, 
quite often it's the case of, look, we've just, you know, you did very well, blah, blah, blah on these areas, but, you know, we just had this person apply who has actually worked in this direct program before or this program type and they, you know, just had a little bit more direct experience. And then, you know, it's not me, you know, <laughs> I'm not doing anything terribly wrong, but somebody had a bit more experience than me, you know. Um, so I think that's important as a, like a, a motivation and a self-esteem thing to sort of ask for feedback if you haven't been successful. Mm. Um, and, um, and don't, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you have to get to the interview first and, and for some positions, you know, that can, they, they can have a huge number of applications. Yeah. So, you know, don't be disheartened. I guess that's my main message. Like keep trying. And if, if it's not quite a, a, right, a good fit right now, um, get some experience or some training in the area and then come back again and try again later down the track. It's really good tips from you, Susan. Um, and it's very important because sometimes as new social workers, uh, we may worry about choosing like between different social work fields of practice. So that's very helpful tips for us. This has been a really wonderful conversation so far. In the interest of time, we will have the second part of the interview with Susan released next Saturday, in which we will dive deeper into what a day-to-day -day looks like for Susan as a team leader in a women counseling program. Susan will be also sharing some of the highlights and challenges in her social work career. She will also share some amazing tips for social work students and social workers in their early careers. So stay tuned and see you next week. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year.